This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. And hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. Mike Adams sitting in once again today for the vacationing Mike Pearson. Good to have you along with us. We have a busy program for you again today. We're going to talk about the the cattle industry and cattle markets. Glenn Tonzer, ag econ professor at K-State, is going to be joining us. We're going to talk a lot of markets, both ag markets and, and the general economic issues today. We're going to talk with Arlen Suderman, chief commodities economist for StoneX. And as we get ready for harvest, you get ready for harvest. you got a lot of things to do to get ready. One of those things should be making sure your ag data systems are calibrated and ready to go. We're going to talk about that coming up on our program today as well. But we'll start things off with another update from Dakota Fest going on in Mitchell, South Dakota. It's day number two there. And on site is Jesse Allen, host of Market Talk. Jesse, good to have you back with us. Day one in the books. How did it go? Day one in the books, Mike. Thanks for having me here again this morning. And uh, really, uh, you know, yesterday we started out with that fog we talked about and a little bit of a, a slow start, but things really picked up through the day. It was a nice day yesterday, great weather, and a lot of folks uh, making their way through the showgrounds here at Dakota Fest. And you know, a lot of positive, uh, upbeat conversations were had here, Mike, and looking forward to more of that coming up here on day number two. I'm, I'm looking out right now. Uh, not a cloud in the sky here, perfect weather, no wind, and uh, already people on the grounds here early this morning. You tell me that one of the people on the grounds yesterday was Zippy Duvall, president of the American Farm Bureau Federation. Yeah, Zippy was here. I got a chance to uh, sit down and talk to Zippy a little bit. It had been a, been a few months since I'd gotten the chance, and uh, he uh, he had a lot of great things to say uh, just about what's going on in agriculture, but also highlighted plenty of issues that I think uh, – you and I and many folks are aware of that uh, American Farm Bureau and others are working on some of the different uh, regulations around, uh, say, atrazine and some of the other crop uh, inputs that uh, EPA is looking at and talking farm bill and talking inflation, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act signed by President Biden here yesterday. So uh, a lot of different things uh, that he kind of highlighted in our discussion and uh, his uh, discussion he had in the Education Center as well. But you, know, you think about it, always always great to catch up with uh, someone like Zippy Duvall and get his take on what's going on in the world of agriculture. What's on the schedule today at Dakota Fest? Well, there are quite a few things on the schedule. Uh, coming up here uh, this morning, a Farm Bill Forum with the South Dakota Congressional Delegation, Representative Dusty Johnson, uh, along with Senator uh, Mike Rounds and Senator John Thune, I'm sure that is going to be, uh, it's always a highly attended event. Uh, they do this uh, every single year here at Dakota Fest. And I will be uh, over there as well listening in. I'm curious to hear what farmers and ranchers here across uh, South Dakota and uh, surrounding states that uh, come to the show here. I'm curious to hear what their concerns are heading into uh, the Farm Bill. Obviously, Farm Bill discussions underway right now as we get ready for uh, 2023 and writing a new farm bill. And as you know, Mike, that is always a, a challenge just to try and make sure everyone is well represented. So I'll be looking forward to uh, seeing that discussion coming up here 
uh, this morning at Dakota Fest. Another thing as well that uh, we're putting on with uh, the American Ag Network and uh, my new show, Market Talk, which uh, we uh, started here, you know, with that show, I get a chance to talk to a lot of different uh, brokers, analysts, traders, get their thoughts on the markets and really have just kind of a, a no-nonsense discussion, kind of like we do here on AOA. And uh, two of the guys I get to talk to regularly are going to be here to talk about the continued volatility in the markets. Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing, Mike Miner from Professional Ag Marketing, both going to join me on stage. That's it. One o'clock this afternoon uh, here at Dakota Fest, Mike. And as you know, uh, we talked about this yesterday, and I know you'll talk about it with uh, Arlen and Glenn Tonsor coming up. Just the overall volatility in all of our markets has just been so extreme, it feels like, the last year or so. And uh, I know we're going to have a great discussion coming up this afternoon in the Reeves Education Center for folks who might be coming out to Dakota Fest today. Well, you said the mood was pretty much upbeat. So what are you hearing from farmers about uh, how their crops look in that area? You know, it's still the case of the haves and have-nots. Uh, the mood was upbeat uh, yesterday, kind of, or well, I should say Monday in this area. Got kind of maybe that quote-unquote million-dollar rain for some. Uh, saw that uh, heavy rains, uh, kind of slow-moving heavy rains moved along the South Dakota-Nebraska border into western Iowa, an area that had become very dry. Sounded like maybe a soybean saver. Now, as far as the corn crop, it's uh, a lot of variability around here. There's a lot of uh, pollination that didn't occur with the dryness we saw throughout uh, the month of July. So it's uh, it's one of those cases of uh, haves and have-nots. There's some folks from, say, northeastern, eastern South Dakota that uh, they saw good rains at, during corn pollination. So they were able to get uh, some good-looking corn crop. It's uh, overall, like I said, and you alluded to, a good upbeat mood for the most part but again there's some folks who are still struggling a little bit in this area but overall things look good and we should point out this is day number two of dakota fest tomorrow's the wrap-up day and uh there'll be plenty going on to wrap things up tomorrow yes there will and i think one uh, highlight uh, that they have tomorrow is the women in ag event and they'll also uh, announce the dakota fest woman farmer rancher of the year award and that event's at 10 a.m. on Thursday. It's highlighted by Michelle Miller, the farm babe. She's going to deliver a keynote address here and talk about kind of bridging the gap between farmers and consumers and asking some questions. You know, how can we as farmers and ranchers better tell the story of agriculture? I know that is going to be a, a great event to attend with the keynote coming up uh, 10 a.m. on Thursday morning. Uh, looking forward to that. And, of course, uh, I believe five or six great uh, Great women are up for the Dakota Fest uh, Woman Farmer Rancher of the Year Award. So I know uh, folks are looking forward to that coming up tomorrow. And again, uh, one more day, getting a chance to talk with various uh, companies, vendors, dealers, etc. A lot of exciting things happening here at Dakota Fest for sure. Well, usually these three-day shows, the middle day is the biggest attendance-wise. And I, I would imagine you're expecting that today. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, already this morning, uh, since the gates have opened up here a, a little while ago, we've already seen uh, a lot of foot traffic. Yesterday was a very good day, uh, but definitely I think uh, we're going to be picking up at attendance here today. Uh, just uh, looking at the weather and already seeing the foot traffic this morning, I think it's going to be a very exciting, uh, exciting day ahead here at uh, Dakota Fest in Mitchell, Mike. Especially this afternoon when you're up on stage. Well, I'm just going to hope that, uh, you know, I'm going to get out of the way. Hopefully I ask uh, intelligent enough questions and then I'll let those guys uh, do the talking because they're the they're the smart guys in the room. I'm just the one that uh, 
throws out a question or two and tries to keep everyone on track. So, <laughs> well, I tell you what, it's a lost art in our business today. I watch a lot of these so-called interviewers on television. They don't let the guest answer. They are, they're always interrupting them. I'm sure you'll let your guest answer, right? That's my goal because at the end of the day, uh, I don't think anyone's coming uh, to that forum at one o'clock to hear me talk. They want to hear, they want to hear Dwayne Bussey and uh, Mike Miner talk about what's going on in the market. So we're going to we're gonna look forward to that for sure. Well, we're glad to hear from you this morning. Thanks a lot. Have a great time there today at Dakota Fest. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Jesse Allen, host of Market Talk, joining us from Mitchell, South Dakota at day number two of Dakota Fest. Up next, we're going to talk with Glenn Tonzer, Ag Econ Professor at K-State. Join us next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Are you headed to the Farm Progress Show in Boone, Iowa this year? If so, stop by the Trelleborg Wheel Systems booth to see all the latest in tires. Also, Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live all three days there from the Trelleborg Wheel Systems booth. That's booth 928. Stop by to watch the show at 9 a.m. And that's in Trelleborg booth 928. We'll see you in Boone at the Farm Progress Show. As harvest begins, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to be diligent in taking the proper precautions to ensure treated seed does not enter the domestic or export grain supply. When properly handled, seed treatments are an effective agronomic tool that provides seeds the necessary protection for a strong, healthy start. Completely remove all treated seed left in containers and equipment used to handle harvested grain and dispose of it properly. Always be careful to follow state and federal guidelines for proper handling, storage, and disposal of treated seed. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Each week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. 
So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. And welcome back. This is Mike Adams filling in for the vacationing Mike Pearson this week. Good to talk now with Glenn Tonzer, Ag Econ Professor at K-State. Glenn, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Mike. You know, um, markets are always baffling anyway, trying to figure them out and kind of try to guess where they're going. But boy, lately, everything is just so volatile. What are your thoughts on all the volatility we're seeing right now? Well, that's a very broad question, Mike. Does I guess it depends <laughs> on which uh, commodity, and even within the commodity, like the you know, livestock sector, we have different levels. Um, but I think it's important to just kind of remind listeners, I'm a meat and livestock guy, so all my comments are going to come from that space. And um, there's pretty strong demand for meat products, so you have that pull, and there's a lot of uncertainty on the supply front. And I must interject some elevated uncertainty on regulatory, you know, freedom to operate and so forth front. So there's a lot of things that are driving that volatility you're alluding to in a broad sense. Well, they often say volatility uh, leads to opportunities, right? But uh, it, it's it's certainly challenging. So let's talk about this dynamic within within the beef industry. Strong demand. But as you said, questions on the production side, weather challenges and issues and uh, uh, forced liquidation in some cases. So this is quite a, a, a tug of war going on here. Yeah. So you have the mother nature component, you know, so the drought and like we have to remind ourselves in some places too much water. But for the most part, drought from, you know, where I'm talking to you, Manhattan, Kansas and West is a very, very loose statement um, that is sort of sped up some liquidation of the beef cow herd. That I think probably would have happened anyhow, because the cost of running a cow-calf herd is elevated besides the drought pressures. Um, and where we're at in the kind of traditional cattle cycle and so forth is part of that. Uh, to flip it over on the demand side, and most of your listeners know I talk with uh, our regular host uh, monthly on that front. And there's this ongoing dynamic between retail and uh, food service demand here in the States. And the last two or three months, the impact of inflation on foot traffic to restaurants and so forth is just adding some uncertainty on that front. So uh, again, there is a tug of war on both the supply demand, but then when you break it apart within those, there's a lot of different forces that are just pushing prices up and pulling them down. And um, that's opportunity and risk, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, well, historically, we've seen higher retail prices slows demand. Are we seeing that? Well, higher retail prices can occur because you have strong demand is kind of my educational point here is if you and I want to go buy a Corvette and there's only one on the lot, we're going to bid it up, right? One of us can go home with it. So you can have that demand pull is one of the reasons meat prices are up. Um, a recent report I actually put out with my colleague Jason Luft at Purdue uh, looked at the pork sector specifically for the National Pork Board, and we identified that strong pork demand, higher cost of producing pork, as well as what we call macroeconomic conditions, so federal infusion of funds and subsequent inflation pressures, all have pushed up retail pork prices. In that specific report, we were focused on pork. But I think you could generalize that to many food categories, is demand pulls prices up, higher cost of production pushes prices up, 
and additional dollars chasing a certain you know fixed amount of assets, uh, the macroeconomic impact pushes values up as well. Usually, even though we may forget it, whenever there's a trend going on, we could go back and see when something similar like this has occurred. Have we seen something like this recently or how far back would we have to go? Or is this something we've not really dealt with to this extent before? Yeah, to this extent for the meat livestock sector, I would argue we haven't been through it before. Uh, and, and the main reason I'd argue that is the, the three outlets for meat products, so the two domestic channels I alluded to earlier, retail and, and um, food service, but also the third will be an export. The role of exports in all our meat sectors is way larger than it was 10 years ago and certainly 30 years ago. And in order to go back in time and find a period where we've had this kind of inflation or you know the infusion of federal dollars in the economy, you would go back far enough. It would happen at a point in history where the U.S. meat industry was not you know, building its export portfolio like it is now. So I think on balance, we are at a unique point in time, Mike. Yeah, we talked with Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation yesterday about the strong world demand, the global demand for meat. Uh, we're talking with Glenn Tonzer. He's Ag Econ professor at K-State. Let's talk feedlot margins. Glenn, uh, what's your assessment there? Yeah, so every month I put out a kind of barometer of returns. You can go to our Ag Manager website here at K-State to track that. Um, it, at the moment, things are looking like they're going to improve notably for cattle that leave starting in October. So I put these out for like steers and heifers that would leave each month for the next nine months. And positive returns start, my projections that is, for October all the way out through next April. What's underneath that is it currently looks like the cost of gain in the feedlot sector might be improving by that point. You know, hopefully some of this inflationary pressure, feed cost gains and so forth have peaked is the point I comment. Meanwhile, fewer animals leaving the feed yard with at least stable beef demand is going to allow us to have higher fed cattle prices. So revenues for cattle leaving the feed yard are expected to go up. Give listeners, if you follow me, both of those help the margin. So cattle leaving between October and April are projected to be positive returns, which is a nice story. You know, everyone talking about inflation and the varying definitions of it but it, uh, for everyone it's how it impacts them right so when we look in the in the beef industry uh and trying to figure out are we just getting into inflation is this uh getting going to get worse is it a long cycle short cycle there's some big questions there for everybody they're very big questions and i, I gave a broader outlook talk in columbia missouri on monday and i shared some usd information that indicates for 2022 the average cow calf producer is probably has about $100 more cash cost in their herd than mm. they did the year before. And, you know, that's a function of many things is pasture values are up and feed prices are up and labor rates are up. I mean, there's several things that are pushing that up. But you're asking the million-dollar question is, you know, we've had that $100 gain. Do we have more gains coming? And I don't mean gain in the sense of good, just higher cost. Um, it's hard to see how we go backwards and, you know, reduce those rates. But I'll remain sort of optimistic that the worst is behind us. Um, the supply chains still have some work to do, but some aspects of our economy, supply chains are getting better. So um, if you're in the market for major appliances, there's quite a few of them available, and they're actually marked down some compared to like three four months ago. Um, that's a sign of some slowing consumer demand as well as the production of those appliances has improved. I know that's not a neat example, but it gives me some hope that other parts of our economy, the supply chain is improving, and I think that will help with the cost side pressures. 
Well, I hope you're right. I, I'm writing that down. The worst is behind us, so I'm I'm hoping that's that's true. Uh, one other thing I wanted to ask clear, you about the, the yeah, yeah, let's hope right. The Small Family Farmer and Rancher Act. Uh, have you looked at the 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 impact of that? Well, it's fairly fresh. I don't, you know, I I read it. Uh, you're referring to what Chairman Scott recently put right. out. Uh, you know, I have read the verbiage that was put out. Uh, you know, my understanding is there's still some additional dialogue yet to occur with the countryside, and I would encourage that, um, maybe to clarify what the goal is. And then, you know, i got to do my job here as kind of a geeky economist. I, I think there's some resources that USDA has, you know, some data sets and so forth that might be better positioned to help with that. Um, that's a very broad reaction for you. But I, I guess for your listeners, it's a recently announced um, proposal that's getting feedback and before I could react in any more narrow sense, I think I need to hear what the adjustments are going to be after the politicians talk to the countryside a little more. Yeah, because you get these broad proposals, and until you see some of the details and specifics, uh, you, it's really hard to know. Well, and some of the products that are referenced don't necessarily align with the sectors that are noted. So, for example, talk about farmer share of the retail dollar is measuring something between an estimate on what consumers spend on meat relative to the value of cattle leaving the feed yard while the upfront part of the document is talking about the small calf operation. So there's some misalignment about, you know, what part of the industry we're even talking about and what metrics to be using. That's what I was alluding to there. Um, as an economist, I do get a little concerned on policies that are around the measure, farmer share of the retail dollar. Uh, there's been work done for, you know, it predates me and you being on this planet, Mike, on uh, economists get concerned with that measure, uh, whether or not it's a good economic welfare measure. So that's what I've alluded to on getting a little bit geeky is I think there's ways to improve that proposed policy. Well, for sure. We got plenty, we have plenty of challenges, but uh, hopefully we'll see some of the opportunities uh, come through here and that producers be able to take advantage of them. Yeah. And to that point, to put a glasses half full, uh, we are, you open this up, Mike, with volatile markets. They certainly are volatile, uh, but volatility generally means up and down. Um, I think the need to watch your cost and watch for marketing opportunities has grown. But when things are bouncing both directions, that does present opportunity. And I think the more astute managers that are going to go on their game better will benefit from that. Glenn, good to talk with you. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Take care. Glenn Tonser, he is the Ag Econ Professor at K-State University. All right. Coming up next, we're going to talk more about the markets, ag markets, general markets uh, as well, some of the things going on in China and Ukraine. A lot of that with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX, joins us next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking. Now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. 
Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, let's take a look at what's going on in the market trade here this morning as we look over at the grains and oil seeds first. We see the soy complex still holding on to moderate strength, a bit of a recovery here from the early week selling pressure that we have seen. Corp market is relatively quiet right around unchanged, while the wheat markets have fallen back here from the overnight highs. We're down double digits in all three Chicago, KC, and Minneapolis wheat here so far this morning. Uh, U.S. dollar index is up 10 at 106.49, so one could think that might be a little bit of a wait here on the wheat markets to start off Wednesday's trade. Overall, though, again, uh, row crops are doing their best to hold up here. We saw selling pressure early in the week from the Chinese economic woes continuing along with uh, milder temperatures and some rains throughout parts of the western corn belt. Uh, really just getting all that combined together along with crude oil falling back. And that uh, that led to our selling pressure here to start the week as funds decided to liquidate and uh, take some money out of the grains and oil seeds. But again, so far today, we're holding fairly steady in the row crops. Livestock futures, they're mixed. Hogs had a bit of a pop here right away this morning, but have since pulled back to more mixed activity. Crude oil recovering a little bit this morning as well, up 82 cents a barrel, 87.35. Stock market quiet, the Dow 136 lower. A few numbers, December corn up a quarter penny, 6.10 and a half. November beans, six to three quarters higher, 13.87 to three quarters. Bean meal is up slightly, bean oil down slightly. Chicago wheat, September down 17 and a quarter, 7.68 and three quarters. KC wheat, September down 18 and a quarter, 8.53 and a half. Spring wheat, September down 14, 8.88 and three quarters. Live cattle for August up to 141.32. Feeder cattle for August down 10, 181.42. October lean hogs, they're down 42 at 96.15. You're listening to AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills, our math, our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water, your air, your food. You're going to need our organizational skills, our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination, our honesty, our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise. We'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. And welcome back. This is Mike Adams sitting in this week for the vacationing Mike Pearson. I've had a lot of people ask me 
how's retirement going and do I miss the job and things like that. I tell you, I'm enjoying retirement very much, but what I do miss are my regular conversations with a lot of good friends and, and talking a lot of different issues. And one of those people that I've really missed talking to on a regular basis is my next guest. So I'm going to get to do that now. Get caught up. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX. How are you, Arlen? Good to talk with you again. Doing well, Mike. I tell you, we've missed talking to you as well. Uh, you've been quite a voice for American agriculture, and uh, that voice has been missed. It's been in good hands, but it's, it's nothing like the original, and uh, so we're glad to hear you back today filling in. Thank you. Appreciate that. Well, we've got a lot of things to talk about. Uh, we have some consumer spending numbers uh, out uh, from the government today and uh, some pressure on the stock market. What are your general economic thoughts right now as we still try to work our way through this and with the inflation uh, challenges and headwinds that we're dealing with? What are your thoughts? Well, that's a good question because it really does impact the commodities. We've seen that a lot this summer. And the market traded inflation the first half of this year. And that meant we saw a lot of money flowing into the food and energy-based commodities because of the expectation that if you're in inflation, those are commodities that go up. So that's the way they could kind of hedge their risk of eroding value of their portfolios. And it was around June the 17th that that changed. And they started going from from trading inflation to trading recession expectations. And they've painted with a broad stroke saying, well, if we're in a recession, then that'll mean less demand for these commodities. Well, that's more true for energy than it is for the food-based commodities, but that broad stroke still did the same thing. And so we saw not only the energy commodities, but the food-based commodities get sold off from mid-June then through July. It was late July that we saw the stock market really kind of say we'd had confirmation of a technical recession, two back-to-back -back quarters of contraction in GDP, and the stock market said, okay, we priced it in. The stock market started to rally. Stabilizing the stock market allowed grain and oilseed traders to focus on their fundamentals, and we saw a rally in grain and oilseeds based on weather concerns and the fact that we'd removed all of the Ukraine risk from the grain markets, and so we started putting some of that back in. We saw quite a rally. I never really did sense the full conviction of the funds, though, and you can't sustain a rally without the conviction of the funds. And so as soon as we started seeing some uh, some ideas that the Fed may continue to be hawkish and may continue to do things that might hurt the economy, and we lacked a compelling weather story, um, then we started seeing weakness come back to the grain and oil seeds. Now, we're seeing some strength in corn and soybeans this morning um, because the end users still have concerns. End users are coming in to buy the break in corn and soybeans. Wheat's a little different story because we have reports in the cash market this morning that Iraq is, has canceled its tender to buy wheat, U.S. wheat. So wheat's a little different story. But money flow based on these broad inflationary versus recessionary expectations has had a big impact on the commodities this summer, and it continues to do so. Yeah, th this is an interesting situation we're in with this inflation versus recession. Uh, the Fed, I mean, we talked about consumer spending numbers down and people look upon that as a negative, but yet the Fed in raising interest rates is trying to cool the economy, right? To try to slow down inflation. So you have this uh, pushing back and forth here. 
Absolutely, because the basic cause of inflation is when demand exceeds supply. Now, supply was hindered somewhat by supply chain problems, some of that related to COVID, some of it related to other issues. Um, demand, though, we can look at the data and see that demand jumped far above what the supply chains were designed to be able to handle, largely because of the tremendous amount of stimulus, both fiscal and monetary stimulus, that was applied. That stimulus is still in the economy. And so in order to get inflation under control, you have to pull that money back out of the economy that slows consumer demand. That means slowing down the economy. The other piece of the equation is wage inflation, where we have two and a half jobs for every worker looking for a job. That really pushes wage inflation higher. So the Fed will never say it because it's not very popular to say, but one of their objectives is to push the unemployment rate up closer to normal levels, somewhere in a five to five and a half percent level versus three and a half percent it's at now. And that kind of brings into balance then the number of workers looking for work versus the number of jobs that are available. It starts to slow wage inflation. That's the other component to it. So doing both of those things mean inflicting some pain on the economy. That's what it's doing. Now, we've got some areas of the economy that are in recession, but overall, I think a better definition of what we're seeing is stagflation, a stagnant economy with inflation. The numbers look a little better on the inflation right now because we had the big sell-off in commodities in late June and July, but we haven't changed the structural issues, which means we could still see the commodity prices head right back up to where they were or thereabouts, and we still have other things causing and inflation out there. So we haven't solved the inflation problem yet. In fact, we've never done that in America without having positive real interest rates, meaning interest rates above the rate of inflation. And we're not even close to that yet. Yeah, so we have government spending helping bring on inflation. So what do we do? We have another spending bill now, putting more money in it. But yeah. I won't get it. I won't get into that right now. We're talking with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX. At the same time, Arlen, uh, Interesting what's going on with the Chinese economy. It, it really is. They've got some real problems there, and the problems are a couple of fold, several things in there. Their zero-tolerance policy toward COVID is creating some problems as they do the restrictions and lockdowns to try to stop COVID. And, but yet the numbers are still going up because they're finding with these new variants that they spread very easily and very quickly, even though they're less lethal. And so they're having more trouble sticking with that policy and keeping the economy going. And they're actually in danger of slipping into a recession. That has commodity traders concerned. You add into there the tensions with Taiwan, which is another risk. Their property market is really hurting now, so the government's starting to funnel money through some of the state-owned enterprises to buy houses to prop up the housing market. They have a record drought right now in the Yangtze Valley, which is hurting crop production, but also hurting power generation. So they're shutting down electricity in some communities, especially to manufacturers, to soybean crushers, to fertilizer uh, producers, etc., um, just creating a lot of challenges for them at this time. And it, China's economy matters greatly since they're the world's largest importer of commodities. So how they go, so goes the commodity markets. Well, let's get your outlook on the commodity markets as we're headed now, getting close to 
to harvest? Do you think markets kind of wait to see how harvest goes and what some of those numbers are coming in from the fields, or could there be a run-up going into harvest? Well, this is what we know. If we pull back 5% from yield from both corn and soybeans, um, just shrinking the yield by 5%, be it seed size during the grain fill period or whatever, we've got a ration demand with prices. So the balance sheets are pretty tight, particularly with Europe having a very short crop. That's a problem. Um, so what? how are we doing right now? With soybeans, they have a tremendous ability to respond to rains in late September, early October. Will we get those rains or not? The temperatures have certainly cooled down. That's a challenge. Corn, I think we have better odds of seeing lower yields probably end up somewhere in the low 170s by the time we're all done in January, is my sense as a former agronomist right now. That would leave us pretty tight on the balance sheet. Soybeans, it's still too early to know. The next big input fundamentally is going going to be the Midwest crop tour next week and uh, that'll provide a lot of information from the field on how the weather is impacting the ear health on corn and pod set and pod fill on soybeans and then after that it comes down to harvest being able to really see what seed size is the way we've sped up maturity corn we're probably looking at smaller seed size soybeans that's yet to be determined all right uh, one other thing I wanted to ask you about what are your thoughts on the, the trickle, I guess you would say, of grain of ships being able to get out of the Ukraine? Are you surprised as much as getting out as there is, or uh, what's the impact? Well, the good news is, is we've seen a little over 20 million bushels go out in the first half of this month. The bad news is that that's only about 20% or so of what they want to get out. It's just a problem. Most of the ships going in and out are very small, handy ships instead of the big Panamax ships, and they just can't get the volumes. If we'd said a year ago that's all we were going to be able to export, that would have been bullish the markets. It's not enough, particularly if Europe has a short corn crop, which it looks like that's going to be even much smaller than USDA currently says. It looks like our corn crop's going to be smaller. And even wheat, it leaves us tight, quality milling wheat in the world. It's still, I think, very price supportive. All right, real quick, any big surprises for you from the WASD report last week? No, not really. I thought it was a pretty neutral report. The algos really sold it off hard, which told me the algos were looking for a more bullish yield reduction. But it was too—it was premature to do that, and I thought it came out pretty much as expected. Okay. Good to talk with you again. Good to catch up. Take care, Arlen. Absolutely. Take care, Mike. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX. Coming up next, getting your data systems ready for harvest. We'll talk about that next here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and, if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. 
The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. As you start thinking about your wheat or rye buying decisions this fall, keep in mind the commitment your seed companies are making to new seed innovations. Our Seed Innovation Protection Alliance members reinvest 15% of their sale into bringing you new genetics with improved agronomic and end-use quality traits that increase your profit potential. SEPA seed companies thank growers for buying new, professionally produced seed from authorized seed companies and seed dealers. Don't cut corners. Buy the best seed possible. To report a seed infringement, call 1-844-SEED-TIP. Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that's sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Are you headed to the Farm Progress Show in Boone, Iowa this year? If so, stop by the Trelleborg Wheel Systems booth to see all the latest in tires. Also, Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live all three days there from the Trelleborg Wheel Systems booth. That's booth 928. Stop by to watch the show at 9 a.m. And that's in Trelleborg booth 928. We'll see you in Boone at the Farm Progress Show. We gather together in communities across the nation to remember and honor, to celebrate and support, to light the night. Join us as we lift our lanterns high in order to move toward a world free of blood cancers. Join us as we light the night for a loved one, 
Join us. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Our mission is to cure leukemia, lymphoma, Hodgkin's disease, and myeloma. Our aim is to improve the quality of life of patients and their families. Join us. We are LLS, and when we walk, cancer runs. Join your community and help bring light to the darkness of cancer. Join us as we light the night. Find your local event at lightthenight.org. That's lightthenight.org. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. And Mike Adams sitting in for the vacationing Mike Pearson as we get ever closer to harvest. There's always a lot to do to get ready. But one of the things that uh, you may not think about but does need to be done, it's very important, that, uh, making sure you're all ready with uh, your your data collection, having that system calibrated and ready to go. We're going to talk about that with Zach Warden. He is a regional sales manager for Agrin. Zach, thanks for joining us. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having us on, Mike. We appreciate it. This is an important topic, isn't it? We know about gathering accurate data and how important that is, how valuable that can be. So you got to be ready for that this harvest season. That's exactly right. Accurate data is, is, is good data. Good data in, good data out. Uh, to really make good decisions throughout the year and, and future seasons as well. Because if you have inaccurate data, that can be harmful. Or if you're not capturing the data that can be beneficial to you, you're missing an opportunity. That's right. Exactly. And and data can be confusing sometimes, right? You know, where where does it come from? Where is it going? What is it being used for? Is it safe? And and is it really benefiting me? And it all starts with data accuracy. It will only be beneficial if it's accurate and simple to grasp. Uh, past those things, safety is a big thing on the forefront of people's minds, especially as uh, bigger tech companies uh, become to fold together. Um, you know, Telus Agriculture and Consumer Goods is on the forefront of data safety, and um, you know, growers and, and retailers alike should always be concerned with uh, making sure their information is safe. So you got it's kind of a twofold situation. Um, knowing what to capture, what data to capture, and then knowing how to best capture it. That's exactly right. Um, it, it's all variant on what you're looking to accomplish. Looking at true ROI, you know, want to look at things like what did we plan out for the year? Getting your planting application and harvest data from the different, you know, whether or not you're the grower. And, you're capturing this information or you hire outside services that are capturing this data, uh, it's good to look at. It helps you prove ROI on field um, and, and see how much effort uh, you're going to be putting towards certain parts of the ground for next year. And things like sample data and fall fertility really rely on those data pieces falling together. They're the building blocks for success. You don't want to build the top of the house uh, with a poor foundation. Uh, and, and, and starting early at the beginning of the year really helps with that. Some farmers farther along with this than others. Uh, how do you at Agrian help uh, producers in capturing data? That's a great question. We, we, we enable 
grower producers or, or, or their retail partners to capture all data set types that would be existing in the field. Um, and, and you can upload those. So we have integrations with many major and minor controller companies, my John Deere's Operation Center, Climate Field View, Raven Slingshot, um, and a bunch of other cloud systems that we're continuing to bring into the fold through um, some of our, our sister companies that are all now a part of Ellis Agriculture and Consumer Goods. So being able to get that data in seamlessly is probably one of the biggest benefits. And also getting that data out. Uh, no more of the days of, hey, I got to run down the road, whether or not it's 30, 45 minutes, hour and a half, three hours. I've heard some crazy commutes before to get out and plug a thumb drive into a controller to complete an application. Uh, think about six hours of not being behind the wheel of, uh, and getting all the way out there and think about six hours of possibly working you know, on, on other things if you can send that digitally to a controller that, that has the ability to receive it. Yeah, time is so valuable, especially at harvest, uh, during harvest. Uh, so, Zach, how can farmers get ready? As they're making, you know, going through that checklist, getting ready for harvest, when it comes to data management, what should they be doing? Absolutely. The, the biggest is just making sure everything's pre-calibrated, planning ahead, you know, working with who, who, who you work with most, whether or not it's a retailer, if you've got an equipment dealer that you like to have come out and do services, you got a guy on staff who does those things, you know, growers know they have their checklist. It's just making sure that pre-calibration is done, it's planned ahead, and a little bit of that planning prior to that hectic time, you know, definitely helps uh, you know, run as smoothly as possible. There's always things that go awry, and, and that's the, the hecticness of farming. But, uh, you know, being able to plan for that definitely helps as much as it can. You know, I mentioned this earlier, um, it, that some farmers are a little farther along with this than others. I mean, this this concept mm -hmm. has been around for a while. I mean, it's relatively new, but it, it it's grows more and more each year. But if you are just starting to get into it, I mean, there are so many questions and and concerns, and it, it can be somewhat overwhelming. Absolutely. Um, and, and and our advice to that is, you know, work with your, your local retailer. I, the grower and the retailer relationship, uh, there was a study that was completed where the number one trusted on-farm uh, partner to the grower is their retail advisor. Um, so continue to leverage, leverage that relationship that the growers and advisors have. And advisors and, and, and retail is becoming more in tune with technology daily, weekly, monthly to help better support their customers with the questions, comments, concerns that they have. Whether or not it's about things that are going on in the industry today, the data being collected and what it's being used for, or in the future, as continuous things come down the line from a technology standpoint, retail and advisors are, are really on the forefront of a lot of those sorts of things. So aside from just partnering and working with your local retailer advisor, uh, I, I also would just advise breaking down for those who are just kind of looking for, hey, how do I show or how do I prove my return on investment? Just looking at the data sets that are going to prove your return on investment. So again, being able to plan for that year, this is what I plan on doing unless things go awry. Uh, this is what I plan on spending, what we plan on yielding, and what we would potentially make per acre or on a total property. And then the data throughout the year, planting application and harvest data, will help check those items off the list, validate the yield, and then if it was at that price point that I thought at the beginning of this year that I was going to you know, be able to get on my contract, then, uh, you know, then you could prove that. 
Good information. Zach, good to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you. You have a great day. Zach Warden, Regional Sales Manager for Agrium. That wraps it up for today. I'll be back again tomorrow. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.